Welcome to Calvary Temple Podcast. We hope that you enjoy and are challenged by Pastor Kyle's message. If you are blessed by this ministry, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at Pastor Kyle at CalvaryTempleTH.org. If you are ever in the area, we would love to have you visit us at 2100 North 6.5 Street, Terre Haute, Indiana, 47804. Our service times are at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. If you all rise, we'll uh, say the Apostles' Creed. Also, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 will be the scripture today. Now, I read a little fast, so I'll have to slow down for you guys. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. If you would stay standing in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it's a short uh, scripture. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Short and sweet. Sharon gave me permission to preach like an hour and a half. You guys ready? You heard her, they're making pretzels. Takes 20 minutes. 20 minutes cook, 20 minutes. Okay, that's only 40. Uh, some of you are new here. Some of you might not know who I am uh, since you haven't seen me for about 15, 16 months. Uh, about 15 months ago, we were uh, called out. We took a three-week sabbatical. And during that three weeks, uh, we showed up at a church. And within the third week, we were preaching. Uh, we filled in for Joe, Pastor Joe Maddox, who's going through uh, prostate cancer. And we preached there for uh, a year. Actually, we left there about the third. My last sermon was January 1st. And then we left there the third week of January. So then we went on a cruise. Had a good time. We took two weeks. Had a good cruise there in February. And the Lord gave me a hope sermon on hope. When I spent some time with him on the boat, uh, I love to get away and just spend some time with him. And he said, preach on hope. Didn't know when, when I was going to preach on hope, but preach on hope. So as uh, we came back, and we came back to Calvary Temple a few weeks ago, Pastor Matt preaches, and he preaches on stand. It's like, wow, stand. Stand means faith. When you've done all else you can do, you stand. You stand in the faith. You're rooted. You're standing. Pastor Rick preaches a message last week of love. The greatest of these things is these three are love. So God, give me hope. So we're going to preach on hope. One thing you've got to realize what Pastor, Matt, or Pastor Rick preached on was this church is still help for the hurting. The emblem of your t-shirts, the emblem of the sign is the cross, broken and bandaged up. This church will always be help for the hurting. This will always be the hospital for the, for the community, for whoever needs it. 
whoever stands in this pulpit. You are the church. You are Calvary Temple. You are help for the hurting. God has called this place to be just that. So, I'm supposed to preach on hope. And God gave me some good stuff on hope. Have you ever had, ever been in a hopeless place? You ever been in that hopeless state? It's not if you're going to go through the hopeless state. It's when. And all of us go through that time of a hopeless state. It's what do you do with it. So as you turn, if you would, in the first book of Job, Job chapter 1, it says the sons of God are in heaven. And they're all meeting. And God's talking to Satan. He says, have you seen my servant Job? And he said, yeah, Job's got a hedge of protection around him. Job, I cannot touch him. And God says, I'll tell you what you can do. You can touch his possessions, but you can't harm him. So, Satan goes to the earth, and it says that uh, he begins to rave havoc upon Job's life. It says the Sabines raided Job's oxen and donkey and killed all his servants. There was one servant left, and he runs to Job. And he's running to Job, and he says, Job, the Sabines came. They took away all your oxen, all your donkey, and they killed all your servants, and I'm the only one left. And just as he had finished talking, he was still kind of talking, here comes another servant. He said, Job, Job. A fire fell from heaven and burned up all the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one left. And just as he had been finished up, here comes another servant. He said, Job, Job. The Chaldeans raided and took away the camels and killed all your servants. And I'm the only one left. And just as he had finished, here comes another one running in the distance. He said, Job, Job. A great wind from from the wilderness took the four corners of your son's house where all your family was at, your children, and it collapsed on them, and it killed them all. Immediately he began to rent his clothes in agony and hopelessness. Have you ever had one of those days where everything goes wrong? Job's in a place and everything went wrong. One thing we see that that Job never cursed God. He never blamed God. He even had four of his friends come come alongside and and they heard about the ordeal and they come alongside and they want to help him. But it was no help at all. We have that in our life. We We have friends that try to help us sometimes. And sometimes it's just no help. Have you ever been there? When I was uh, 16 years old, uh, I was a pretty good boy, but I was 16 and uh, my best friend got a brand new car. I just turned 16 on October 30th, 1st, and uh, my friend got a new car about that same week. We was getting ready to go out that following weekend. I had gotten trouble the week before, so I was grounded. My dad said, you can only go out uh, one night, one weekend night. So I chose Friday night. That was the first night he could take his car out. First night uh, we could go out. 
and his brand new Z28. He was so happy that day that he even wore he even washed it and waxed it. And we laugh about it today. So he used furniture polish. We laugh about it today, but it was it was like, oh. We go out and we come home and I said, Dad, man, can I go back? Can I go back out with him Saturday night? You know, I was home on time. He said, No. You're grounded. You you have to stay home. I went to bed early that night. And in a dream of that night, I, I seen my, my best friend was in a car wreck. Well, my dad woke me up about 12, 30, 1 o'clock that night. When he woke me up, he said, hey, Lance, I got something to tell you. And I said, Frank's been in a wreck, hasn't he? He said, yes. He said he didn't make it. Hopelessness and despair sets in instantly. My best friend, I, I got a brother and I got two sisters. But I felt so alone. That was my brother. That was my best friend. Hopelessness. Now what am I going to do? What's left for me? That's who I talked to. That's who, I, that's who my friend was. Have you ever been there? You lose your job. You lose someone you love. You've been to the doctor, and the diagnosis is terminal. We all had friends that have been in that state. Hopelessness begins to set in. But in Job 6, 11 through 13, Job never cursed God. He had his four friends come alongside and tried to help him. And Job said, basically, take, why did I even live? In verse 11 it says, What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end, that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones, or is my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me, and is excess driven from me? What I want you to look at is verse 13. He says, is my help not within me? Now here's what we've got to realize. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not reside in them. The Holy Spirit would come and light upon them, and then He would leave. He would come and light upon them, and then He would leave. Job's saying, can't I do it myself? I cannot do it myself. Crying out with the loss of everything that he had. In Galatians 2.20, Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. If you're a born-again believer... The Holy Spirit dwells within you. He is the dwelling place where Job can say that, that what is in with me, I can't do it, but who's in us, we can. We can do it. Also in 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That means he dwells within you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He lives within you. He can help you any, any time, any struggle that you're going through, any hopelessness state that you live in. He can help you. That's what He's there for. He is our comforter. He is our comforter. There's ten top hopeless things that I wrote down. Number one, when you feel alone, or abandoned. 
that night that uh, my dad woke me up, I felt alone and abandoned. Some of you can probably relate to that. Divorce. Family leaving. It happens to us all. Number two, life seems out of control. You just can't control it. You get in and it's like life is chaos. Everything around you is collapsing. And it just seems like it's chaos. It's out of control. Number three, you don't see a purpose. A lot of times people do not see a purpose in their life. We go through uh, times of trauma and we don't have that purpose in our life. We don't know what we're here for. We just, we're just going through life. We, we go to work. We come home. We eat. We go to sleep. We go to work. We come home. We go to sleep. We eat. Just a routine. Just a routine over and over and over. And you're just living life. What purpose do I have? What is my purpose? You get into uh, one of those modes. You know how it is. We're just coming out of winter and spring and everybody is so energetic right now. But in the winter months and, and you're locked inside and, and you just feel like, wow. And you get depressed. A depressed state because you have no purpose. You're not fulfilling a goal. My son has, has uh, been home with us for uh, three years. He went to the Army. Uh, he moved home to go to school. And uh, he wasn't working but just going to school. And he got in that dis- depressed state of what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Just living in the house, just living. He's got a son, and his wife is living with us, and she's going to school. She sees a purpose. She's, she's studying, and, and my boy dropped out of school, and he's, he's looking for something to do, looking for purpose. And he's just like, oh. And they say he's depressed. Well, yeah, because he didn't find a purpose. Just the other day, actually Thursday, he just got word that uh, he got a tank uh, mechanics job and he's going to Fort Benning in June. And you can just see that something rise up within him. He has a purpose now. He can provide for his family. You can just see it rise up within him. When you find out that you have a purpose, even in uh, God's work, it stirs you up. It gives you energy. It gives you a, a, a direction to go. Number four, grieving a loss. Each and every one of us will grieve a loss that is close to us and dear. Number five, you don't have what you want. Or you don't have what you need. Some of you can relate to that. You don't have what you need. But God is Jehovah. He is Jehovah uh, Jireh. He will provide for you. He is our provider. Even the birds of the, of the land, they, they are provided for. They don't have to work or toil, but God provides for them. Number six, you have done something wrong. You feel so bad because you've, you've done something wrong or you've done something against your husband or wife or you've done something at work and you just, you just feel so wrong. And, I'll, and I, I stand in the pulpit today and I tell myself my wife hates it. She hates it when I do it. But I tell you what, we're all failures. We all fall short of the glory of God. The other day, actually uh, Friday, I'm at work. It was a stressful environment. Uh, I, I just had got there, been there about 45 minutes, had some problems on the floor. It wasn't my shift. And I go down, and this robot's kind of all messed up. 
and me and the, the electrician got together and we said this is what we're going to do a new maintenance crew is coming on and they're, they're everybody's around and we're pushing the buttons and I, I pushed the button to automatically move bypass all the stuff and I moved everything out but when I did I didn't know what the person did before me and they overrode the system which caused some havoc after I did this one of the one of the electricians the one that was coming on said I'm supposed to do that and I looked at him not a very good way and I said some things that wasn't very I said one thing that wasn't very good he left he walked away and he knew I was upset and then they, they know I am not that way they know that there was something going on in me and I felt so bad that eventually throughout the day I went and talked to him and I made amends with him and at the end of the day I said do you still love me you know, he's a man, he's not a man of God, or he's he's just he's just a man. He said, Yeah. Yeah. So when we do things wrong, we get depressed. I felt so bad. Number seven, deeply wounded by someone. Deeply wounded by someone. I and I've been in that place too, where I've deeply wounded my wife years ago. Some of you have probably done the same thing to your husband or wife. Deeply wounded to have said some things that were wrong. And I know the state of my wife at that time was, was, what is my purpose? What am I doing here? Why am I still here? You can ruin an individual. Deeply wounded someone by someone. Number eight, pulled in the wrong direction. Following someone, taking you down the wrong road when you know your purpose is somewhere else. You know your purpose for your life is somewhere and you're going the opposite direction and you don't feel that purpose or desire in your life anymore. Number nine, hounded by fear. The fear of losing someone, the fear of getting uh, a prostate cancer. Maybe your, your uh, grandfather had it, your father got it, and now you know you're probably going to get it. You are susceptible to it. Fear of, of the unknown. And number ten, when it looks like defeat. Anybody watch basketball this week, weekend? March Madness is going on. Here we got number one, Villanova. Number eight, uh, Wisconsin. And as even as you watch these games and you start to see when the score is just surmountably uh, big, big deficit, and you see the faces of the players, just defeat. The purpose that they had to win the NCAA, be the number one team, just diminishes. Throughout this weekend, you've seen some upsets. You've seen some teams that weren't even supposed to win, win. And you see some teams lose, and their faces portray the picture. When defeat, when you feel defeated, this church has felt defeated. At one time. You guys are rising out of the ashes. And fire is burning. You know, when we go through these times, we either blame God or we blame ourselves. Every time. Job was an example that he didn't blame God. He didn't curse God. He said, why did I even live? But he chose to honor God. Even, even his, his friends and his wife told him, disown God. But he chose to not curse him. 
And we all know the end of the story where Job was blessed beyond measure. Here's a statement I'd like for you to take to your heart. There is nothing you have done or are doing at this present time for God to love you less. There's absolutely nothing that you have done or ever will do that God will love you less. I don't care what you're going through, what sin you're living in. There's absolutely nothing that God will do, that you can do, that God will love you less. And that even means your enemies. The ones that you, like, oh, God, I wish they would go to somebody. But there's nothing that enemy can do for God to love them less. If Christ is in you, that means you have God's Spirit. For you, hate, for you to hate that person, it's not God's, God's will. There's absolutely nothing you can do or your enemy can do for God to love them less or to love you less. You really need to get that in your heart and get that in your spirit that, that whatever you go through in life, there is absolutely nothing that you have done would cause God to hate you. Absolutely nothing. The only thing would be you reject him. You reject the Holy Spirit. And He still loves you. In Isaiah 43, 1-3. Isaiah 43, 1-3. By now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, my Savior. When you walk through those fires, when you walk through the floods, He is there to save you. He is there to protect you. It's not to say that this physical body will not endure it. Because this physical body does endure it. But the guy that lives within you, the spirit that lives within you, helps you overcome. Helps you overcome. Because, guys, there's times that we will walk through the fire. There's times that we're going to be in the floods in our life. See, I'm going to give you the problem of hopelessness. And we want to give you the solution of hope. There's three types of hope I want to talk about today. Wishful hope, expecting hope, and certain hope. And they're all three in the Bible. Hope is mentioned 130 times in the Scriptures. Hope definition is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. A confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Are you confident? That Christ is coming back? Or is it wishful hope? So, what is wishful hope? Wishful hope is that I'm, the lottery is uh, $350 million. And I know we're not supposed to gamble, but whoever bought a lottery ticket when it's, when it's $350, and then you've then you, you got that ticket, you've got your numbers, and you're thinking, oh, wow, what am I going to do with this? You start thinking, I'll pay off the church. I'm, I'm going to buy a house in Aruba. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And it's just wishful hope. It's good to hope, but it's wishful thinking. It's nothing that you can do. Nothing's going to change it. It's just thinking wishful hope. You're running late. Uh, you need to get down to the south end of town. You've got a meeting to get to. You're supposed to be there. You're running late. And you're saying, God, just let all those lights change green so I can blow right through them. Did God bless you because they turned green? It's wishful hope. It's wishful hope. Because there's absolutely nothing you can do with those mechanical lights that on timers that's going to change. I'm just saying, those lights is in man's world. We're supposed to bring the kingdom here, yes. Which is wishful. What happens when you get stopped by a red light and you, and you wish, wishing they were green? Expecting hope. Expecting hope. Now we think when we hear the word expecting that, okay, we're expecting it's going to happen. How many mothers in the world have expected a baby to get pregnant? They're expecting. That's what they call it. You're expecting. How many babies never make it full term? How many babies are miscarried? Expecting, yes. But expecting can change. Expecting can change. I expect that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. One of it's cloudy all day long. And I never see the sun. It's still there. But I want to see it. The sun will come out tomorrow, as she says. Why does that song go? The sun will come out tomorrow. I can't sing. Matt? <laughs> I need Maya, don't I? She could probably sing it beautiful, the high tone. High pitch, should I say. But then there's certain hope. I walk around because of you guys. This side is my favorite side. For the last year, uh, I stood on a pulpit that was about this tall, and the church was like, Shh. and uh, wasn't too many people in it, but it was this tall. And uh, it had speakers over there, and it was comfortable to come over here. Most people sat on this side, so that's why I walk on this side a lot. I got habits. But certain hope. Now certainty. Certainty. If you know what's going to come to pass. Without a doubt, you know. We have a uh, testimony that Sharon would like to share. I pray I can get through this without tears. As you all know, last year, um, Bill and I felt led to come home from Florida. And when everyone heard that we were leaving the Florida area, um, it's like, why and what on earth would ever make you leave an area and sell your home and come back to Terre Haute, Indiana. But we had peace and we knew this was where we were to be and what we were to do. Only God had the answer 
we were obedient to what we heard from him. As you all know, we have had a breach in our family for 17 years. Our daughter chose back then. Um, the youngest of the children was eight months old, and she turned 16 next week. So we missed all of that family growing up because of a time of a misunderstanding between she and I, and in that she was verbally very cruel to both Bill and I in the process. Every time we came into contact, it was put down, name-calling, whatever, because of things that we had done in our young years that in her life she felt was traumatic. We looked at it and didn't see that trauma, but we teach you in seminars that the trauma is not always what you think should be a trauma. It's what hits that individual, and it was a trauma to her. So our, every holiday, every birthday that was with the children, we went through our 50th anniversary with her not around. And there had been many prophecies to us that said, the Lord will reunite you. And so he talked about the expectful hope. And we had expectful hope. Because if the Lord had promised that to us, it will come to fruition. It will happen. He is no respecter of persons. So the certain hope, the fruition. Last Thursday, our daughter, we ran in, I ran into our daughter in Steinmark two weeks ago. And she hugged me and said, let's have lunch sometime. So we had lunch together, and she came by the house and kind of acted like everything was okay, and Bill and I are like, oh boy, what's up next? What's going to happen next? So she's back then and texted us again for this past Thursday, and we went to lunch and was going to go shopping afterward. Before we got up from the table, she said, I have something I want to discuss with you. So Bill and I both looked at one another and go, okay, it's going to be another put down. It's going to be another time of getting our legs knocked out from under us. But that certain hope was still there or we would not have been with her to go through that. We were sure, we were sure that God had a plan. She opened her mouth and said, I'm asking your forgiveness for the person that I have been for the last 17 years. I have said things and done things that I should not have done. But you're my parents and I love you and I have always loved you. I want our Christmases, I want our life to be whole. I want full restoration. I don't want us to go back and live with what was behind us. We're going to make every day new, every single day new, so that as we live it and we walk through it, 
we can learn to love one another the way we should have loved one another the last 17 years. I had that certain hope because I had been promised by him that I would have it. There were those who told me that the only way you will ever have that relationship with your daughter is it's a miracle. People, I want you to understand if there's anything in your life that has not come to fruition and God has promised you and told you that it will, be patient, it will, it will. In that interim of time, through the seminars and through the times that I spent with people, God put so many daughters underneath my wings. He fulfilled my life, many spiritual daughters, but I am so happy that he's put my own daughter underneath my wing now and that I could reach out to her with the love that God gave me in my heart as a mother for my child. Don't give up hope. Just stand firm with that wishful, expectful, certain hope that God has for you. And he'll bless you the same way he's blessed us. Our hearts are so full of joy. It's unspeakable. Amen. God is great. Seventeen years. Seventeen years. She was promised. And certainty and hope. I am so certain that Jesus is coming back. That I know in my spirit, I know in my heart that Jesus is coming back. It's not a wishful hope. It's a certainty that he's coming back. It's a certainty that if you ask Jesus Christ in your heart, it's a certainty that he will come and live within you and he will change every aspect of your life. He will change every dynamic of your life if you allow him to. Certain hope seems like so far away. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it is not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. There is a moral certainty that the good we expect and desire will be done. That is a biblical hope. In Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained promise. Now I'm going to stop there, and we'll pick up 15 in a minute. Abraham made it. He was promised it as a young man. He's now 100 years old. Do you think the promise ever stopped? No. Do you think that he thought, well, now I'm 100 what good am I? My wife is 80. Her womb is dead. Where's the promise? But God is always faithful. His promises to you are true. He waited. Hopefulness is waiting, expecting it to come. Knowing in your heart. See, hope and faith go together. You cannot have faith without hope. 
You can't have hope without faith. They have to go together. You've got to be able to stand. What are you standing for? For the hope of the glory of God to come into your life. If you're hoping and you have no faith, what are you hoping for? You've got to have faith and hope that work together. As Jesus, as God said, the greatest of these is love. You've got to have love to be able to hope and have faith to share with others. So 15 months ago, I leave. And there's some promises that God told me in this place. We used to come in here in the middle, middle of the night. I would get off on a second shift. And, and actually, I come in by myself for a while. And, and then Jeff started to come in with me. And, and then that Dana started coming in. And uh, I enjoyed myself. 11 o'clock at night. You know, this is in 06, 07, 08, 9, 10. Middle of the night. We crank the music up. And just in worship. Seeking the Lord. He told me one night that I was in here that he showed me a vision of this place on fire. It was actually burning from the out. You could just see it on the outside. And as I stood outside and seen the flames roaring from the building, I heard the fire trucks in the distance coming to put out a fire. As the fire trucks roll up, they say, well, the place is not on fire, but it looks like it is. When I left 15 months ago, I said, Lord, you promised this place would be on fire. I was going to be here. But now you've moved me out. When we left and we started pastoring there, we thought it was going to be permanent. But unbeknownst to us, God has, has other plans for us, wherever it's at. I thought my, my promise that he gave me was gone. And then when I read... Hebrews, and how you have to read how Abraham had to wait. He had to endure for the promise. He had to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. You get a you get a uh, uh, diagnosis of cancer. You want to be healed right now. Sometimes the promise is God is still faithful. He is Jehovah Rapha. His redemptive names are the same. He is the God that heals. When you're in need, He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. It's not in your time. It's in God's time. Don't lose hope. Don't have wishful hope. 1 15. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise... For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them and an end of all disputes. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which God, which is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay a hold of the hope set before us, Verse 19 is what I really want you to take from this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become our high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Circle steadfast and sure. This is the hope. That is the anchor to your soul. Steadfast and sure that it will happen and it is coming to pass. 
the promises that have been given to you, it is sure and steadfast that they will come to pass. So why does he use an anchor? Everybody knows what an anchor is. You see it on Popeye's arm, right? But actually, in the ancient times, the anchor is still used today. You know, I was, seeing, I was trying to get pictures uh, of anchors, and I wanted to show you some pictures of some anchors. And I seen this chain. Each link was 500 pounds, and this guy standing in it was about six foot per length. It lifts a 75-ton anchor, which is for an uh, outrig out in the ocean. This anchor is 75 tons. Anchors are used to anchor and hold stuff in place so they don't go anywhere. Also, anchors are also used in the ancient times that as they was going through the sea, as the rough seas would happen and the, the boats being tossed to and fro, they would begin to let the anchors down. And that kept it from pitching and rolling. Steadfast and sure. We just came back from our cruise a few weeks ago and on these big cruise ships, they just modernized the anchor that they now send stability bars out into the ocean so the ship does not tip and roll. Stability. What is the anchor to your soul today? I have a little boat. I've had one since we were uh, 27. And there's times that I go out into uh, Raccoon Lake or some different lakes around and, and sometimes there's no one around. And I don't let my anchor down. And I sit in a place and I might sit there for three or four hours and Matt knows he's been there before. And all of a sudden you think where you were at but over a course of time, over a few hours, your boat's not in the same place. It begins to drift because you have no anchor. When you realize and you get up and you, you've been done reading or you get up and you look around, it's like, wow, how did I get so far away? You motor back to the same place you were at. If you don't let your anchor down, you're eventually going to drift that way again. You've got to have an anchor. Now there's an anchor that I've had for my boat before, and it's, a, it's just this round little thing that a rope ties to it. There's no hooks in it. Throw it out. It weighs about 15 pounds. And it'll hold you there if, the, if it's calm. If the sea and the water is calm, it'll hold you there. But the minute that the waves pick up just a little bit, the boat starts to rise and rock. And what's that do to the anchor? It lifts it, sets it back down, lifts it, sets it back down. Over a course of time, uh, We've been out there and there's other people all around and you're, you're kind of just anchored out. You think you're anchored. And as you swim around your boat, as you're goofing around, you notice that your boat has moved. Even though you had an anchor down, your boat still moved. It still drifted in the current. Because with the waves, the boat the anchor lifted. Some people have anchors that lift. They drift off. They drift off and they drift off in places they should not be only to realize later that they got to get back to the same place they were at. Now the good anchors are the right size and they hook into the bedrock or hook into the sand. When that boat rocks, when that boat moves, that anchor does not move. It stays steadfast into that rock. And when you have to pull that anchor up, you have to really pull and pull hard and you're pulling up all kinds of mud and junk. What are you anchored with today? What are you anchored with today? Each one of us needs to have an anchor in our life. 
Some of you might be drifting around with no anchor. Some of your anchors might be too small. See, with the ministry, whatever ministry you have or whatever capacity that you have, you have built an anchor. You either got the anchor in the water or you don't, and you're drifting. Or you got an anchor that is too small that it does not grab a hold, and, and you let your life dr uh, drift on, only to realize that you need to get it back to where you was at. There's so many times I hear people talking, uh, people that have been raised in a church, and say, I don't know how I got so far away. How did things happen in my life that allowed me to drift so far away, only to realize to get back to the same place they were at? And then they, they realize it for a couple months, and all of a sudden the anchor is still not the way it needs to be, and, and it starts to drift again, and your life begins to drift away again. With every ministry, you need an anchor. With every ministry in this place, every person has a ministry in their own place. That means when you walk to a store and you're in the store, you are Christ lives within you if you've accepted Him. When somebody's going through something uh, traumatic, you are an anchor. You know that God will provide. He has certainty that He will provide. Now, individually, we have anchors. But corporately, this church needs an anchor. What is this church anchored on? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the anchor to this church. The presence of the Holy Spirit has to be in this place like never before. To have that anchor that we can hold on to, that this church will not go anywhere. Because it is the anchor. We know that when, when things come up like it has in the past few months, that, that there's things happening. What's the anchor? What is it hold, this church holding on to? Are we holding on to the hope of Jesus? Are we holding on to the hope of the Holy Spirit? Hold on. Set that anchor. The bigger the ministry, the bigger the anchor has got to be. This church needs a 75-ton anchor, Linwood, to hold this thing down to the ground. The bigger the ministry, the bigger the anchor, guys. Whatever your ministry is, if you've got a small anchor, it's time to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I need a I need bigger anchor. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to be in the bedrock of you, Lord. And set fast that I can't even pull it up. What's the anchor of your soul today? What's the anchor of your soul? Is it the people around you? Is it the people that are around you that tell you different things? Or is it the Word of God the anchor to your soul? Not only the Word of God, but the Spirit of God living inside you. What is the anchor to your soul? See, it's more than just reading the Word. It's more than just singing a song. But it's getting the Spirit of God alive in you is the anchor to my soul because I know that it's true. I know the facts that, that if I go pray for someone, something's going to happen. I know that, that whatever I do or say in the world, that is He is my anchor. As long as He is my anchor to my life, the things that I say, yeah, I do mess up. Guys, we're all going to mess up. But I know that it depressed me. It depressed the spirit that lives within inside me. And I had to make it right. If there's anybody that you have an ought with today, you need to go to them and make it right. Because see that what I said earlier was there's nothing that anybody can do for God to love them less. That means if you got an ought with the brother, you got an ought with the sister, 
That same Spirit of God that lives inside you is the same one that says, I love every one of you. No matter your faults or failures, I don't care what you have done, but He loves you no matter what. If He doesn't live inside you, you have no love. But I know the God that I serve and the God that you guys serve is a God of love, and He is, he is the anchor to your soul. If you have an aunt with a brother, you have an aunt with a sister, you need to get it right. Because God's saying, I am love. I am love. And the Spirit of God that lives inside you is love. Hope and faith does not work without love. I know the faults and failures that I have. And I try to redeem them all the time. We mess up. That's no different than someone else that we despise or someone else that has said something or someone else that has done something to us. The hardest thing is to love your enemy. Didn't Jesus say that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Love your enemies as you love yourself. Sometimes you think they might be your enemies. And I don't even know where I'm going from this, but this is where God is leading on my heart right now. Love your enemies. Love the ones that think you think done you wrong. This is where we begin to close. She said I had 40 minutes. If you would, you want to play that song for me? I heard a song, and I, nothing against Matt, but I heard a song the other day about anchor, anchor to your soul. If you could, put the words on the screen too. Have it in anchor. Something that you can hold fast to. When life and trouble in your, in your life happens, when those things that the doctor comes out and says, oh, and you go, oh. And all the breath out of you is consumed. You ever sat there with someone that, that gets a, uh, a word from a doctor and it's, Total hopelessness. Total hopelessness. But the God I serve and the God that you guys serve, that's why you're in here, has an anchor for you guys. The anchor for your soul is sure and steadfast. It was immovable. It is immovable. It cannot be pulled up by you unless you allow it. Every part of my life, every part of your life needs to trust in Him. There might be someone here that does not have an anchor in their life. That means they probably don't have Jesus Christ living inside them. If the Lord is speaking to you today, some of you might never heard the Lord speak to you. There's a calling in the Spirit in your heart. And you just know that the question that they ask you is, He's asking you is something only you know. We need to be anchored in Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life daily, continually, and anchored. Because when those winds come up and those rains come up, 
you need to be anchored because your boat will drift. Life happens, guys. Life happens in our life. Continually things happen. The enemy's trying to kill you. The enemy says, I'm going to kill and destroy you. That's what he's here for. To take everything from you. Once you're anchored in Jesus and the hope of the Holy Spirit and Jesus coming back and God's love in your life, that anchor can't be pulled up. Because you know without a doubt the certainty of life in you. Without a doubt, there's life. Could I have smaller ministries if anybody, all all those ministers, come forward? If you are dealing with any of those ten things that I talked about earlier, being abandoned, wounded, fearful. But today, if you just need an anchor in your life, maybe your anchor is maybe a little small, and you think, God, I know that you have called me, and the promises that you have told me I know are true and faithful. I know that they're going to come to pass. It's just been so long, I just have lost hope. Today is the day to get, get that anchor. Today is the day to remember that the certainty of hope is the life in Christ. That certainty of hope, that anchor to your soul. Come forward. Or if you just need anything, prayer for sickness, prayer for a disease, we'd love to pray with you. If not, just listen to the song just a little bit. Turn up just a little bit. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this group of people that you have called together. And so many more that will walk through the door, Lord. I thank you for those. For the promises that you have spoke to individually, individual ones in this place, in ministries. The abundance of your promises, Lord, are faithful. Just as Abraham had to endure and wait for the promise to come true. Lord, we know for certainty, for a fact, that your promises will come true in our lives, in our ministries, in our church. This church is called to be the help for the hurting. Lord, I pray that that the hurting will walk through these doors, that everyone in this place is healed up and ready to fight the battles against the enemy and change the lives of individuals that come through. Father, I pray that everyone that has an anchor in this place throws it and puts it in the bedrock that is anchored deep in you, Lord. And Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit just to overcome each and every one. Father, the life, they breathe your life in and out, Lord. And their life is anchored in you. And whenever they go through those times, it's not if, it's when. Father, that they are so anchored deep in you that they cannot be moved or moved or drifted away from you at any time, Lord. That they will never curse you and only bless you and praise your holy name. 
We thank you, Lord. I pray blessings upon each and every one that is here today, Father, that they walk out of here in, in might and power and strength. And, Father, let the love of you overshadow them as they go forth throughout this week. In the name of Jesus.